All right. Well, join me in uh, Luke chapter 23 for our Bible study today. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23, and and we've been uh, kind of going step by step as Jesus has been uh, <coughs> sentenced to be executed, found faultless by Pilate, sentenced to be executed, marched up the hill to... Golgotha to Calvary to be crucified between the the <clears throat> the two malefactors and <clears throat> those that were weeping for them he had some final words for them and <clears throat> and then our last lesson was uh, father forgive them in Luke 23:34 and so we'll take up in uh, verse 35 then and, and read uh, through the portion that we're going to deal with today. <clears throat> and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, <clears throat> coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. In my Bible, it's all in cap letters, so it's a dramatic statement there. And, and uh, that that's our section we're going to focus on today. Isn't that, it's interesting... Uh, in the other gospels they 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 tried to talk uh, uh Pilate into saying uh don't write that here's what here's what we think you should write write that he said he was the king of the Jews, not that he is the king of the Jews and Pilate said, what I have written, I have written, and I call your attention back to the Wednesday night message from our pastor and Esther that the king, what the king wrote could not be reversed. And uh, focus on that. So <clears throat> so anyway, today is uh, the lesson is the accusation. It's called, in some places, the other gospels is called, and the accusation was uh, written over him and the crime for which he was accused. And that was a custom there when, when they crucified some criminal or ne'er-do-well, they... <clears throat> they would put a sign over him and the reason why they wouldn't just crucify somebody just for and just stick him up there and they would put a sign over him saying this guy was a robber this guy was a murderer this guy was a, a usurper this guy was an insurrectionist uh, those kind of things so that and then people would be warned don't do that if you do that than this <laughs> so <clears throat> it was it was the thing that they did and they I'm sure those other two thieves had a sign above their <clears throat> on their cross that <clears throat> said that the crime that they'd been uh, convicted of and were being executed for <clears throat> and as uh, Norm, I think Norm pointed this out in the Wednesday le lesson because he referenced a scripture in in John chapter uh, 19, verse 19. 
you would turn there in your Bibles, please. John 19, 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. In, in my Bible, it's also in cap letters. And, and in John uh, nineteen twenty, this title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus cruci was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. <clears throat> and as Norm said, the writing was not permitted to be changed. Uh, or reversed, because it goes on to tell us here in John nineteen twenty one. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I'm king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. He was, <clears throat> God was not going to allow him to, he, God put it in his mind what he should write and directed his hand to write exactly what he wrote and it was it could not be reversed and so those crimes of the other two were crucified <clears throat> would have customarily been written down and attached to their crosses as a warning to others you know and who knows what if they had a family member says well don't write that he was a murderer say shoplifter or some minor <laughs> some other lesser crime or something but <clears throat> you know for Jesus, there really wasn't a physical crime attributed to him. Only the, the truth of who he was. And spiritually, though, <clears throat> and we, we have to look at this from a spiritual angle, why he was being crucified was <clears throat> he shall save his people from their sins. <coughs> and as we look at this through the spiritually through the imputation of grace, the great exchange, the sins of his people, their crimes against God were imputed or charged to him, and spiritually all the crimes of all his people of all time were written in that superscription for which he was paying the ultimate price. His death in their place paid the penalty that they earned, and he became the justifier. That, that means he, he was the one who rendered them innocent. He was the just and the justifier. <clears throat> he made them innocent. And so that's kind of the subject of our lesson today on the accusation <clears throat> and the spiritual implications of that. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to... Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2 and beginning in verse 13. This is just a wonderful scripture, and it just so far passes what we can think about it, and uh, so I encourage you to spend some time in this passage here. In Colossians 2, 13, <clears throat> and you being dead in your sins. And the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. <clears throat> so the, the first sentence there, dead in sins and uncircumcision. You know, when, when Moses circumcised the people, it was a 
it was a sign, it was a throwing away the flesh, a symbol of getting rid of fleshly works. <clears throat> Having forgiven you all trespasses, and in, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 14 here, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, <clears throat> which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So isn't that just what we just got through reading about in, in, in Luke and in John? This, this, the accusation, the superscription was nailed to the cross and he, and he paid for it. <clears throat> for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. I think in the NIV it says it's an aroma. We're an aroma of, uh, to God of Christ. To the one, we're the savor the, or the aroma of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Well, that's an interesting verse all in itself because religion thinks that they are, uh, uh, they are sufficient for those things <laughs> because they're always trying to get you to do stuff to accomplish that, that the reversal of that condition. <clears throat> you know the term savor, we are a sweet savor of Christ unto them that are saved and to the one we're the savor of death. It's, it's actually, it's kind of two forms of the same word there. Uh, and <clears throat> in, in the Greek, this word savor means it's the Greek word os, osme. It's probably where we get osmosis from or some modern term, but osme, uh, a fragrance. And it's from the base word ozo, which uh, means to scent. And normally it's used in a, as, a, as an ill odor. But here it's coupled, in one case, it's coupled with this, a term sweet. <laughs> so it says it's an odor, but it's a sweet odor. But to the one that's a savor of death, it's an odor that's an, it's an ill odor. <laughs> and uh, you know, this is a, this term, this base term, ozo, uh, is, we find that in John chapter 11, verse 39, where remember Christ's, was going to come to Bethany where his pal Lazarus was, but he stayed for four days. He stayed away. And they said, you know, Lazarus is pretty sick. You should go there. And he didn't. <clears throat> and finally, he said, okay, we're going. And they got to Bethany and Lazarus has died. And he'd been dead for four days. And in verse 39 of John 11, Jesus is about to enter that tomb. He said, roll back that stone. Take ye away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him, the sister of Lazarus, said, ah, don't do that. He said, Lord, by this time he stinks. Or he's been dead four days. What a picture 
of our condition. Isn't that just what we read? Dead in your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened, having forgiven you all trespasses. What a it's a metaphor. This this thing that happened to Lazarus certainly happened in a physical sense, but it was a metaphor for something much deeper. Our our condition is in death is it's a stench. It's a stink. <clears throat> but when Christ entered that tomb and commanded him to rise up, that stink was gone. And so <clears throat> I call your attention back to our verse 14 where it says, let's read verse 13 too. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And that word blotting out, that's what's, that's the, that is the most wonderful thing that we could imagine. That term blotting out is very interesting in that it's much more than what we have come to understand about blotting out in modern terms. You know, you all see those brawny paper towel commercials where the, they have the computer sitting there on the table and the clumsy husband knocks over the glass of something purple or whatever and it's headed for that. It's going to ruin whatever it hits and then they take the the paper towel and blot it up real quick before it has a chance to get there. So that's that's kind of how we think about blotting out in, in modern terms. <clears throat> and Webster's Dictionary defines it as to make obscure, insignificant, or inconsequential. And all of those are true, but they don't really come close to describing the act of grace. <clears throat> the Oxford Dictionary. Sometimes things come out of Oxford that are not good. <laughs> but in the Oxford Dictionary, it says to deliberately try to forget an unpleasant memory or thought. And, you know, that, that may, uh, the sense of that may make a person feel relieved for a time. But from a spiritual and legal sense, it does nothing to mitigate the, the actual guilt or the, the actual problem. You just forget about it. I like to forget about stuff I did wrong. I don't remember doing that. <laughs> Doesn't mean I didn't do it, but it just, I don't remember it, you know. So, but in the Greek, and, and you know, it's always important that when, you know, a couple thousand years later, we're reading these things and and the language has changed significantly over time, but it's always important that we understand the writers of the time and what they, how they viewed things and what their understanding was. And that's why the Greek was, the Lord chose the Greek because it's just so succinct. It's just exact. It's just not ambiguous at all. It's everything is is cut and dried with the Greek and it's very uh, definitive in its terminology and 
And so the, the understanding of the Greeks that were writing the New Testament at this time, and in this case, Luke, Dr. Luke, his understanding of blotting out was infinitely more comprehensive and infinitely more consequential than what we think about today. This, it's a compound word, ek, and <clears throat> which denotes a point of origin, the point from which an action or motion proceeds. And we see that connected to a lot of words that have to do with salvation. And it always points us to Christ as the point where things uh, start and, and commence, like he's the author and finisher of our, of our faith. All those things <clears throat> are connected to this ek. And then the second part of that word is alepho, which is a compound of the, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, alpha. That's where we, alpha bet and so <clears throat> it's it's an abbreviated form of alpha signifying a particle of union coupled with this word lap laporos and i and i point all that out to you because that means to oil or anoint with perfume So to those who wrote the New Testament by the Spirit of God, the blotting out was much more significant than a mere smearing around until it was not so detectable. <clears throat> and it was much more than a mere trying not to remember. The detestable thing was gone. And more than that, in its place was a most pleasant aroma, a most pleasant scent, a most pleasant smell. The child of God through Christ was now pleasing to God and not one molecule of sin was present and in fact had been obliterated and all in its place was a sweet savor of Christ, a sweet aroma of Christ. To God, it says there in our text back in uh, <clears throat> 2, 2.15, 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we, those that are saved, are unto God a sweet savor, a sweet aroma of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? All your sins obliterated. And all he, all he sees is his son. All he smells is a sweet aroma of his son. <clears throat> I like that for me. <laughs> yeah. So. <clears throat> so, this detestable thing is gone. That replaced by a pleasing smell to God through Christ, who was pleasing to God because. Uh, I think in your in your uh, there's a couple of articles here that are really good in your bulletin. <clears throat> One is called <clears throat> "The Ground of a Sinner's Justification," in that not only did he die, but he was obedient. Those things pleased 
that were pleasing unto God. And then on the back page here, um, about the Virgin, the ex, uh, it's called uh, externalism. <clears throat> externalism is a, an important concept to understand. <clears throat> now, in, when people died back in those days, and, and you know, the, uh, largely that's been eliminated in our, our time because when someone dies, we dial a number and someone comes and takes care of the problem and by the time we are uh, intersected with it again, it's, it's entirely different. But in the old days, someone died, you, you had to deal with it. And what they did was, they, in like Lazarus, they put him in a tomb, but generally they would put a bunch of things in there with him for the time that they were in there getting him prepped, you know, wrapped in the, the linens and the things that they, remember Lazarus, he was all wound up in grave clothes and things, and they would put a bunch of flowers that smell good in there with him. They would put some little pots of perfume around him, so he, but what those things did was, that was the externalism part of it. They would just mask the problem. And that's what a lot of religion does. Now, it just tries to mask the problem with some cover-up stuff. But it doesn't get rid of the, the offending problem. It just kind of covers it up. And it never lasts very long. You, pretty soon, you've got to put some more pots of perfume out. Pretty soon, you've got to put some more flowers in there. And they only last a couple days, and then the stink comes back. And then, so you, it's a never-ending process that has to be repeated over and over and over again, and and it it, it never works. And so, when Christ takes care of a problem, it's it's not just covered up, it's not disguised, but it's totally eliminated. It's gone. And where it once was, there's now the sweet savor of His Son. You know, the the psalmist wrote in uh, 103.12 that our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. Well, how far is that? You know, I was uh, reading some things this week, and I was kind of in, in, been, I've kind of been interested in it for a long time, but I'm too dumb to understand much of it. But but uh, physics. And I was reading an article on physics, and it says, well, in physics, you can have a point. And when a point is extended one way, then you have a line. And then when it's extended the other way, you have a line. But it's infinite. They, they just keep going. <laughs> and if you add another line to them, then it becomes a plane and all those things from geometry that I didn't pay no attention to 50-some years ago. <laughs> but as far as the east is from the west is an infinite distance. Those two things are never going to, to meet. No matter where you are, the east is that way and the west is that way and and they're never going to intersect. And that's that's kind of a 
metaphor for or the Lord putting away our sins. He says, put it away an infinite distance. <clears throat> In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22, we come across this blotting term again. I've blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. Isaiah 44, 22. And as a cloud thy sins... Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. It's not re return unto me so I can redeem me, redeem you. It's you are returning to him because he has redeemed thee. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing ye, O heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth, and break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein, for the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. You know that thick cloud, that's a metaphor that's used quite a while, maybe not a, entirely a metaphor, but spiritually a metaphor uh, that we find often in Scripture beginning in the wilderness in, uh, in uh, <clears throat> Exodus. The, the Lord w was a, a cloud by day and a fire by night and and <clears throat> We find the Lord, Norm mentioned, oh, the Lord got caught up into a cloud when he, when he was resurrected there. And then in Revelation uh, for uh, Revelation 1, 7, behold, he cometh with clouds in like manner as you see. They, when, they, when the angels were talking to him, they said, he's going to come back in like manner as you have seen him go. He left in a cloud, coming back in a cloud. <clears throat> and, and he's blotted out as a thick cloud your sins. So those are connected things. And <clears throat> and he says, And they which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. You know, the, the Old Testament understanding of this action by God and blotting out, it's comparable and is the root of that New Testament word that we, we looked at. That's where they, that's where that originated from. They came from and and in the in the Hebrew, it meant to rub or stroke, by implication to erase, but also to smooth with that oil, that that perfume that we we looked at. With the result being that the of, the offending thing is utterly wiped away, obliterated, and it's all been made well. In Genesis, it carries the understanding of God entirely destroying something. In Exodus, it describes the activity of God in, in utterly putting out even the memory of Amalek from under heaven. They find that in Exodus 17, 14. He's just gone. Nobody will even remember him. <clears throat> in Exodus uh, 32, there's a good example here where Moses was pleading because the people were up to their eyebrows in sin in idolatry and and Moses was pleading with God about it and he just felt he just felt bad you know like some days we wake up in the morning and we just say you read the news or whatever and you just say sorry God <laughs> this people are nasty 
I'm sorry, God. Well, Moses pleaded with God in Exodus 32, 32 and, and pleaded with him that he would forgive the idolatry of the people and if not, that God would blot out his name from the... He, he says, Blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. So he acknowledges a couple things there. There's a book. It's got names in it, and God wrote it. And he understood that his name was in it, just like Jesus said, Rejoice not that the devils are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Well, that's Moses here. He says, I know my name is in that book. He said, Man, if you can't find it in you to forgive these people, blot my name out. And, you know, Paul said the same thing in the New Testament. He says, I would that I were accursed if, if it would mean that my people could be brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. I'd, I'd trade me for that, you know. And, of course, that that's just our human nature lamenting the condition of our families and stuff that we can't really do anything about, but... We save those kind of things. Oh man, I I trade me for them if I could, but we we can't do that. <clears throat> if I if thou will forgive their sins, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. You know, in our New Testament rendering, which we noted there in Colossians, our sins are not just removed, but in their place now is something so wonderful, so pleasing unto God that we just can't fathom it. <clears throat> much more comprehensive, much more consequential, much more eternal or infinite than we can think of. So we see this blotting out of sins that's talked about in Colossians. He's blotted out the handwriting of ordinances against us which were all the crimes that we committed against God and you know many people say well you know I didn't really commit any of those crimes <laughs> I didn't murder anybody I was pretty respectful to my mom and my dad and, and probably not lying right now <laughs> You know what Jesus said? Well, that guy says, well, I've kept all these commandments from my youth up. What lack I? And so he, he says something to him that he did, was unpalatable, offensive. And another time he said, <clears throat> what's the greatest commandment, Lord? And he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. This is the greatest commandment and in it are contained all of the commandments. If you can do this one commandment, you're covered on all the rest. But on the same token, you know, if we fail in one point, we're guilty of them all. And so there's no chance for us to do that outside of Christ. We have to depend on him to have satisfied that, that to requirement. We, 
24-7, every second, every, every day, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul. Okay, anybody that can has done that, and you can't just say, well, I'll start doing that tomorrow. What about yesterday? You know, we, we just don't measure up there. And as much as we love Jesus, as much as we love the Lord, it doesn't take too much to distract us in, the, in our human nature. So we, we just depend on him to take care of that. <clears throat> so the, the blotting out of sins and transgressions takes care of those, those things. Paid for it, eliminated it. He said he, the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, the enmity that we were with God while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. They were and they were nailed to the cross. <clears throat> Ephesians says the same thing in chapter two, verse fourteen, for he is our peace, and that's peace between us and God, not world peace is like some people are demanding right now not peace here not peace there but a peace between God's people and him because of what Christ has done he is our peace who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us remember that had to do with the the Gentiles could only go so far in the temple and then there was a wall there that had the signs on it Gentiles can go no farther and then then they could go into the court of the women and the court of the elders and on up into the holier places. He abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby so he took care of all those ordinances all of our on that cross behind him was a list of all the sins of all his people of all time paid for you know that's when it, when it, when he said it is finished that's a legal accounting term in that language that meant this account has been settled it's finished. The debt has been paid. The creditor has been satisfied. David said, blot out my transgressions. He knew he needed blotting. <laughs> Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Because I... I acknowledge my transgression and my sins ever before me. You know, that's something only a believer says. The unbeliever says, I'm not guilty of much. And when I, if I am guilty of something, we'll have a talk about that. When I come, when I meet the Lord, I'll just tell him, you know, that's as good as I could do. You're just going to have to be satisfied with it. And, and it, his answer is, I'm not satisfied with that. I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake <clears throat> and will not remember thy sins. 
I'll be merciful, merciful to their iniquities and their unrighteousness. Their iniquities I'll remember no more. That's Hebrews just quoting what we just read in the Old Testament. <clears throat> He's, that's quoted in Hebrews 8 and 10, 17. <clears throat> when God takes care of our iniquities and obliterates them, and replaces them with the sweet smell of his son. You remember <clears throat> in John chapter two or twelve, Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very expensive, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor. Of his anointment. That sweet smell. And when Jesus exercises mercy, when he calls one of his own to him, and, and the Spirit breathes into them the breath of life, they have that same sweet smell. They have that sweet savor of Christ unto God. <clears throat> For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved. And you know, to the people that are not saved, we're just a we're just that odor. I don't like that. I don't like nothing to do with it. Well, we're out of time. That's the end of our lesson for today. Be free because your sins have been blotted out. <clears throat>